This episode of I'll Go First is brought to you by Acura, leading the way in auto innovation for over 30 years. Keep listening to discover how Acura sees things differently in the pursuit of precision-crafted performance. Now, on to our show. How did your experiences with race and racism shape how you think? Uh, oh, that's an heavy one. When you have your head smashed against walls, your head smashed through windows with glass, just because you have curly hair, just because you have an accent and things, uh, that wears you down a bit to some extent. Hi, I'm Takara Small, and this is I'll Go First from The Globe and Mail. This is not your average tech podcast. We're going beyond the headlines and behind the million-dollar deals to chat with innovators and industry trailblazers. On this episode... Hi, my name is Solon Angel. I'm the founder of MindBridge.ai. We look after financial data sets of companies and protect business integrity from errors or intentional errors which usually means fraud. Salon seems like an average guy. He's a mild-mannered family man who lives in the nation's capital. But he grew up in parts of the world that are a lot scarier than suburban Ottawa, and he's had to deal with discrimination, instability, and violence early in life. After the 2008 global financial crisis, he wanted to come up with a solution that would stop it from ever happening again. And that's how we ended up at the helm of MindBridge AI, which uses artificial intelligence to help auditors and regulators analyze financial data. It's a bit of a mouthful, but all it means is that they're helping recession-proof the economy. It's a personal story for Salon, though, whose grandfather went bankrupt when he was little. With that kind of beginning, it would be hard for anyone but he's a survivor of violence, natural disaster, and child abduction. How he got to where he is now is a story you have to hear to believe. So you're an accomplished entrepreneur. You've also traveled quite a bit. You grew up in Caribbean, in France. You're also Brazilian. What is the hardest thing about balancing all of those places while growing up? I don't know if you balance them. I think they shape you and they beat you up. As they say, what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. In my case, I mean, yeah, I've seen the, you know, close desk twice uh, before the age of 12. And you always learn something from it. You, you learn to become the oddball. You learn to become the stranger. You learn to become the different one. I, I didn't really accept it for a long time. Uh, but when you learn to accept it, it, it's a very powerful thing to be the guy that walks in the room and is going to shake things up or is going to think differently. And did that help you become a better entrepreneur? I did not realize it was actually such a defining trait of my personality until I had uh, one of my best mentor and friend and partner in the business pointing it out. Until I started harnessing it, it was actually almost more of a loose cannon situation. <laughs> the best way I can uh, describe it, if you know, anyone has seen Dragon Ball Z when, as a kid. Okay, so for people who don't know what Dragon Ball Z is, you got to explain that. <laughs> so it's like a, a Japanese animation manga from the 80s. And it's like humans that discover inner powers of themselves and they get super angry, their hair change color, and they go super cyan. And then as they grow and they become even more powerful, they grow in power, uh, exploiting that super sense. And each of them have different techniques and tools, but those super cyans, when they transform, it's pretty dramatic. Does that intensity come from something in your past? I can pinpoint when, why I started behaving certain things certain way. Um, and it made some people uncomfortable, but I always used to say, partner, um, this is the type of guy that will shoot for a grain of rice or that will kill for food. Because um, I've seen those people. I've seen them do it. 
Um, when there was a hurricane in the West Indies, we isolated for six months and the army was overrun. You saw those people doing that. And then when you were in another place and there was an earthquake and, and you see the patterns in the faces and the behavior, and you can see that behind the face of civilization and police forces and all of that, I can recognize the guy at the table in a meeting room that is all suited up and nice and polite. When, you know, things go south, I know which one will try to kill me for a grain of rice. Can you tell me a little bit about how those experiences impacted your career choices? My upbringing was very chaotic. I was uh, borderline abducted uh, from my father out of a very dramatic divorce. I used to rearrange and, you know, unbuild and rebuild tape players, rearrange like any to- toys that had electronics. I had to unbuild it and rebuild it. And it was like a coping mechanism for control. I had to organize everything by color and by size. Until recently, I used to have all my shirts by colors. <laughs> Having things in order around me, as much in my control I could, really shaped me. I actually operate at best in crisis. I, I really don't get faced by it, and I find order and chaos really fast. And that's something that I didn't realize other people didn't do. I used to be so frustrated many um, years ago, like 10 years ago. In the first startup I did in Silicon Valley in 2005, so picture 2005, you're 22 years old, you know nothing, but somehow... Uh, every time there's a crisis, you're going to step up to the plate and then the, the senior guy always rely on you. So that was like an innate characteristic that really carried with me and still carries with me now. And you mentioned that you like to create order out of chaos. I imagine that would be incredibly stressful. How do you go about even doing something like that? Well, first you have to create chaos. So, you create um, chaos. <laughs> so, so I see. You don't find it. You create it. Well, he, that, that's, so you see, that's the double-edged sword, right? I am not the guy you're going to put to do the same thing every day and every day and every day and every day and every day, right? I will, after a while, naturally, because I'm comfortable with chaos, I will trigger a crisis. I will trigger something to see if everything holds. And guess what? 80% of the time, things can be improved. I find order of chaos because like, a startup is very chaotic, okay? Like the company reinvents itself every three to six months. So that's where I operate the best. Like the, the hardest part for me was when we implemented processes in the management team. Boy, that was hard for me to, you know, put the seatbelt on, stay sitting, sit and let them do it. Uh, a fire, you don't, you don't predict how the flame is going to go, but you know it will always be very, very, very hot, right? So there's, there's consistent points in chaos. The work that you do now is designed to prevent fraud. Is there anything in your past that helped shape that interest? Several times in my life, I was exposed to that. And even before I existed, my family was decimated by a cricket uh, CEO with an accountant accomplice that literally put the whole family business bankrupt. Uh, my grandpa came in France. He didn't know how to speak French. He knew how to count. And he built a business of hundreds of people. Uh, they went bankrupt because of, you know, uh, poor integrity people. And I didn't know that until actually I told the idea to start my bridge to my dad and my aunt. And they said, well, to be good, that would have prevented what happened to us. And I didn't know that family taboo in story. But for me personally, directly, when I was a couple of years old, the military police put a gun towards uh, me and my mother and tell my father, gringo, you pay or they get their gun. That's corruption. That's when you have poor civil society. Which is why I tell everyone, when you're doing your little funky tax business, when you're, you know, skewing one number or two, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But if everyone does that gradually, you'll see the atmosphere around you will change really fast. And so you also previously worked in Silicon Valley, but now you're located in Ottawa. 
Mm-hmm. What took you or what inspired you to leave Silicon Valley for Ottawa? <laughs> very, very different places. <laughs> Um, a woman. I mean, no, no, it sounds sort of a cliche. My father is a French guy. He goes for vacation in Brazil, stays 10 years and has a baby. And now uh, the son goes to Silicon Valley, meets a Canadian girl in school in Paris. And then one day decides to follow her in Canada. I had uh, my girlfriend then, ex-wife, that was moved, that moved there. They worked in banking from Canada. And I knew her from university in France before. And she's like, mm, I don't like San Francisco. You're working seven days a week. I don't know why I came here if you're seven days a week. And I don't see many kids in the streets. That's not really a city I want to establish myself into. And I was like heartbroken. Uh, to me, having a house in Half Moon Bay and surfing almost every morning, you know, I, I grew up going to California every year or two to my uncle who had a ranch in Mendocino County. I loved the progressive mindset. So I was really heartbroken. I just followed my heart. And then my dad, with his, you know, beatnik hippie background, says, son, do what you love and live your life. <laughs> So um, I was like, well, I've been with her and I've never experienced Canada. So yeah, let's go Canuck. And how long have you been here for? Uh, about just 10 years. And how have you seen uh, Canada's tech scene change over that time? Well, I, you know what? I'm super proud of them. I'm just like, I'm super proud of being part of it. I mean, but remember, it's, it's still a small ecosystem. I know like everyone's part of Toronto, part of Montreal. Let's not forget, it's a 30 million people country, right? So it's a small ecosystem, but it's punching way above its weight. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just the beginning. Uh, when, I, I think like Ottawa in particular, I mean, people don't realize if you put the city of Vancouver, Toronto and Montreal together and in Moncton, I think, all side by side, it's still smaller than Ottawa. It's completely underdeveloped, right? And if you look, when we talked to, to some VC, my CEO came back from San Francisco, he was fundraising and he said, you know, why, how did you find us? Why are you interested in Manbridge? I said, well, because there was Shopify. And when we look historically in every ecosystem, for example, when there is one uh, unicorn or decacorn coming out, uh, usually within five years, we see two or three others. So we want to see which one is it going to be. So think about that. Don't think about it. It's like, oh, we're doing great. And this is just the beginning. Tech is becoming big in the world in general. And Canadian tech is solid. What would you say to people who feel that artificial intelligence is taking responsibility or even possibly jobs away from people? Well, that's the biggest misconception. Look, uh, no matter how smart a robot is, I think it will always look at taking over things that are more or less predictable or more or less outcome-oriented. Creativity, imagination, communication is not necessarily a straight-line outcome, and business decision, definitely not. What AI is going after is tasks, to make certain tasks that humans do not necessary anymore. So if you have humans today that are worried about AI, say, well, you know what, do you, when you come home, are you tired? Like when you come home, do you have sometimes bad days and the stuff that is boring to do or you, we're not very making sense? Is there decisions that were made that you did not understand, right? And think of a world where there's a lot more clarity and a lot more traceability because I'll give you a simple example. And this is again, sorry, in the, my social side of me, but people, for example, challenge like, oh, with an AI, an AI is not defendable in court, for example. And I'm like, okay, well, let me give you an example. If today I tell you that there was in the U.S., a case of several cases of minority being discriminated to credit. And I'll tell you that for sure it was one of those five tellers. And actually, I'll tell you even this was that, that clerk at that bank in that state, at that city, that did discriminatory practice, and we, we know about it, right? And you have to defend that in court. How can you do that? The guy will say, no, that's not true. I, I did not discriminate. It was not because it was Afro-American or anything like that. You can't. You can't just look inside of the brain, pose it, mm-hmm. go back in time and see how he made his decision. 
I mean, without killing him, at least now. Um, <laughs> but um, with an AI, that's different, right? You can actually look at why it came up. If you build it's built the right way, which we did my version, explainable AI, you can actually pause a second here, go back there in time, look at that trend, and why did the AI flag that? And you can actually see the cognitive brain, and actually you can defend that even in court. And if I can tell you, if the world would be run like that, it would not be always the loudest guy in the room who wins the opinion challenge and to get the decision done, the big guy with a big project and full of you know testosterone. But it might be that uh, shy woman in the corner there that has a brilliant idea that was never able to speak because it's that big egocentric guy speaking loud all the time. You know what I mean? Gotcha, yeah. You think big here for a second. What does it look like when humans make always the right decisions? Now, the Acura Innovation Series. In Acura's third year, three letters changed the industry forever. NSX. Still considered one of the greatest sports cars ever built, the original NSX's 3.0-liter V6 engine has a place in the hearts and garages of gearheads around the world. The NSX's being crafted today build upon the legacy of the original and bring life to the next generation of precision-crafted performance. Visit acura.ca slash NSX to learn more. So for the next section, we call this rapid fire. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You just have to answer as quickly as possible. Oh, boy. Oh, like no, no, no. It'll be fun, I swear. I like it. No, I like it. I like it. I like it. Oh, no, great. Yes. I knew, I knew you would like it. You're, You're making me happy right now. This is, like, this is great. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So are you ready? Are you seated? Are you prepared? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. What is your greatest fear? Huh. Solon, you're, 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 you're doing the opposite. You're supposed to be as fast as possible. <laughs> I was never asked that question. Oh, um, that I see a loved one die and I cannot do anything about it. I see. Gotcha. What do you do for fun? Spending time with my daughters, uh, going fishing with them, uh, you know, partying until 4 a.m. in New York with a friend that just closed around the founding. Nice. Helping have two female entrepreneurs in New York, uh, starting the business. And I love, I love to see young, hungry, motivated, ambitious people um, that just don't have the, you know, they're playing around the pool and someone needs to kick their butt to go in the water and I love to do that. What is your perfect day off? I mean, a perfect day off is, you know, 8 p.m. Friday night to 8 p.m. Saturday night, well, down to down every week. Uh, and the people that know what that means recognize me. What's the one word your friends would use to describe you? Crazy squirrel. How many languages do you speak? Four or five. Five, sorry, five. What's your favorite TV show? Right now I love um, um, Narcos. I mean, I have to ask, like, what is your favorite sci-fi movie and or film or TV show? There's a funny story about that. I learned English watching Star Trek from the early 90s. If you had to pick one character you identified from it, what would it be? <laughs> I'm a Picard I, I, all the way. What about you? I'm, I'm going to feel super judged right now, <laughs> uh, but totally data. And would data enjoy working at MindBridge, you think? Absolutely, yes. Why? The best I can describe it, MindBridge is all about capturing professional judgment and enhancing it. So think about it. You're, you're a cyborg, right? And he's, he's fascinated by the quest of humanity and how humans make the decision. And you have that platform, that cognitive platform that enhances humans and capture all the data points as to how they make decisions. Don't you think you'll be totally turned on by that? <laughs> of course. So, yeah. So data to me, 
to some extent, but more importantly, uh, the, the big Klingon guy uh, that has very strong principles. Worf. Um, yes, because I, I really admire the, the, the guy that, again, remember my story. He's the, really the different guy in the group. No matter how many times he tries to be accepted, he's always really not completely accepted, and you see he struggles with it all along. But what makes him always a point of reference, he has his principles. And to me, um, you know, I, had to, I made the choice not consciously early on in my life. There was a fork in the middle of the road, and I would not be one of those guys that will do drugs or steal other people's stuff. I would not be the guy that will go with the gangs. Um, because, you know, when you're six years or seven years old in the West Indies and, um, you know, very permissive parents, like, you know, I would say two-thirds of the kids in school end up bad. One of my best friends didn't make it to the 12th birthday so the thing of the principle always sticks with me. This is one thing that I didn't know, realize until recently how actually that is so important to have in life. And, and we've seen it in the creation of MindBridge. Every time we did not stay true to our principle, we paid the price after. So you're the first in your field to do what you're doing. Uh, what's one big mistake that you made in your career that ultimately helped make you a success? Trusting the wrong people. What do you mean by trusting the wrong people? Trusting the wrong advisors, investors, friends? All of it. So then how can people make sure they trust the right people? What advice? Mm, don't be as hopeful, naive as I am. Be a bit more and, 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 and listen to people that care about you. Um, when they told you, don't associate yourself with that person. Uh, there's a reason, especially your family, when your family has a gut feeling that is negative, be careful with that because they know you. They know the baby in you. They know the young kid in you. Um, they can smell someone that has too much self-interest. And what advice would you tell your younger self? It's going to be fine. Chill. You'll see your 20th birthday. You'll see your father again. You won't see people hungry again for a long time. And where do you see yourself in five years? Probably be really involved in Mindbridge, but also developing the MyBridge Foundation to start accelerating the positive change that it brings. And um, yeah, and then just look at ways to just do a little good in the world in any way I can. And, you know, go back to Brazil or France in those communities that are, where people have tremendous talent and good heart and there's a cloud over them of no opportunity. There's just no air to breathe. And I want to explain to them that nowadays that doesn't exist anymore. There is more than they see, and I want to show them. Makes sense. And then last but not least, you mentioned you don't really have a day off. How do you balance fatherhood with entrepreneurship? Yeah, I do have one day off a week where I don't touch a cell phone, I don't drive, um, and that's very important. And this is when I'm face-to-face with my family, right? All we do is eat, nap, go walk. Even when I'm away, I do FaceTime. I send it a message. Before I leave, I say, hey, you know, I ask my eldest daughter, hey, uh, you told me that you don't have that. And how about I bring you that, but from New York? And she's like, well, what's the difference when it's from New York? And I say, explain to her why this, this is different. So I always like bring some part of my life outside of home at home and also make sure to show them that I remember them always. Thanks to Salon Angel for sharing his story. Now we want to hear your story. Make sure to hit me up online. I'm at Takara Small on Twitter, or you can email the show at podcasts at globemail.com. I'll Go First is a Vocal Fry Studios production. It's executive produced by Kieran Reyna and Katrina Bolak with editorial assistance from David Michaels. For more stories of entrepreneurship, visit theglobeandmail.com. 
Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.